0: The kingdom is spreading, O oh, tell ye the story, God's banner exalted shall be. The earth shall be full of his knowledge and glory, as waters that cover the sea.
1: Acts 16, verses 1 through 5. Acts 16, beginning in verse 1. Then he came to Derbe and Lystra, and behold, a certain disciple was there named Timothy the son of a certain Jewish woman who believed, but his father was Greek. He was well spoken of by the brethren who were at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted to have him go on with him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in that region, for they all knew that his father was Greek. And as they went through the cities, they delivered to them the decrees to keep, which were determined by the apostles and elders at Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and increased in number daily. In our last study, we saw another example of that remarkable combination of tragedy and victory so common in Scripture and only attributable to the majestic providence of God. Paul and Barnabas' long and fruitful working relationship, which has dominated the narrative of Acts for quite some time now, came to a contentious end, They would reconcile in the future, in some way and on some occasion not recorded in Acts, but at this point they broke into two missionary teams, Barnabas and Mark traveling to labor on the island of Cyprus, and Paul and Silas traveling to revisit the churches established on the first missionary journey in the mainland of Asia Minor. Yet, whatever there is to say of this sad scene, it did not stop the progress of Christ's kingdom. Jesus continued the work he had begun in both men and in the world through them. Silas, who is also called Silvanus, seems to have been an older man, perhaps closer in age to Paul himself, and we do not know if there were any others in the traveling party. We have already observed that occasionally Luke will fail to mention certain personalities like Titus, though they were present for an incident he describes. But Silas is a man worth noting more. He was a very wise choice for a traveling companion on a trip such as this. First, he was a prophet, according to Acts 15.32, so he would be able to contribute that extraordinary work which the Bible says was vital to the upbuilding of the churches, Ephesians 4.11. Second, he was originally a member of one of the Jerusalem congregations, evidently the one where James was an elder, And that meant that if they encountered any opposition from the Judaizers, who claimed to have the backing of that congregation, perhaps denying the legitimacy of the letter from James or saying that the church there or even the twelve apostles were on their side, Silas could offer compelling testimony to the contrary. Third, he was, like Paul himself, a Roman citizen, according to Acts 16, verse 37 which granted him some very helpful legal privileges that we will see discussed in future studies, which would assist greatly in the kind of work these men were undertaking, and even more so, the works that the Holy Spirit intended for them, which they themselves at this time could not have imagined. Since they were not going to visit Cyprus, Paul's company took the land route to Galatia, traveling through Syria and his homeland of Cilicia, and Luke says, strengthening the churches that were there. These congregations had not been established on the first missionary journey. In fact, Luke does not tell us when they were established or who established them, but it was almost certainly Paul himself during the years between his conversion and the beginning of his work at Antioch. Likely, these congregations were now very mature and had already received the bolster of spiritual gifts and the appointment of church officers needed to carry them forward to maturity. But a visit from the apostle and the encouragement of hearing what had been taking place in the progress of the kingdom of God would certainly bless them all the more. Acts 16, verse 1. Then he, that is Paul, although he is named here to represent the whole company that was traveling with him, came to Derby and Lystra, In Acts 14.21, Luke reports that there were many disciples in the congregation at Derbe, but Lystra was the group in the region about which the most is known. This was where the pagans were worked up into a frenzy after Paul healed a crippled man, and, concluding that Paul and Barnabas were the gods Hermes and Zeus come to earth in the forms of men, attempted to sacrifice a bull to them. There were not many Jews in this city, evidently less than ten men because there seems to have been no synagogue, but shortly after the incident with the local pagans, the Jews from Pisidian Antioch and some from Iconium had traveled all the way here in pursuit of Paul and convinced the people of the city to stone him, nearly to death. When we considered that incident in a previous study, we discussed that although the Jewish population was sparse, There were a few, most notably two women, named Lois and Eunice, with whom Paul evidently had a close relationship. Perhaps they took care of him and helped nurse him back to health after the attack was made against his life. Also in that earlier study, we mentioned that Eunice had a son who was not discussed in the previous record, but enters the narrative here. Verse 1 continues, And behold, a certain disciple was there, named Timothy, the son of a certain Jewish woman who believed, but his father was Greek. Luke introduces Timothy with, and behold, an expression designed to turn full attention to a significant and often surprising development. The surprise may have been that, much sooner than Paul would have expected, God's providence led him to one who could serve in the role from which he had rejected John Mark, or it may have been that he was simply surprised to see the amazing progress that this young man had made since Paul last saw him. Luke says he was a disciple. And in First Timothy 1 and verse 2, Paul calls Timothy his son in the faith, which most take to mean that he had converted Timothy and perhaps personally baptized him. That would have been either on his first or second visit to Lystra, during the first missionary journey a few years earlier. If Timothy was a Christian when Paul was stoned, perhaps he witnessed that event. But even if he did not obey the gospel until they passed back through the city to ordain elders there, he certainly knew what Paul had endured and how he had refused to allow his personal safety to stand in the way of the spiritual well-being of the saints there, like Timothy himself and his mother and his grandmother. Although the Bible records no words that may be directly and confidently attributed to Timothy, what Paul says about him indicates that he had tremendous love and loyalty to Paul and reciprocated the affection that the older preacher had toward him. Paul viewed Timothy like a son, and we can be fairly certain that Timothy viewed Paul like a father. As Luke informs here, and Paul affirms in a later place, his real father was not a believer. He was evidently a pagan and may even have been dead by the time that Paul came into the city with the gospel. Timothy was a good young man who received instruction in the holy scripture from childhood, according to 2 Timothy 3.15, and allowed the genuine faith of his mother and grandmother to become his own, 2 Timothy 1.5. However, he would have been viewed negatively by the Hebrew Jews because the marriage of his mother and father was actually regarded as unlawful. The book of Jubilees even called for fathers who gave their daughters as wives for the pagans to be stoned and said that the women should be burned, Jubilees 30, verses 7-8. So Timothy was a mumzeer, the child of an illegitimate marriage. And perhaps that is what kept him from being circumcised and becoming a full participant in the Jewish community before he became a Christian. The rabbis, at least in later generations, taught that women in Eunice's situation should not circumcise their sons unless the fathers approved. So it would have been Timothy's decision, and he had rejected it. He had not, however, rejected the Messiah. He would have been a teenager when he was baptized, and now he was in his early 20s. But during the years since Paul had left him, he had been busy in spiritual growth. According to 1 Timothy 1.18 and 4.14, prophecies had been made concerning him to the church that God would use him in his service. In fact, these prophecies seemed to have specified that he would serve as an evangelist. This, coupled with the observation of his talents and character and faithfulness, caused the congregation in Lystra to encourage him and the elders to help facilitate his development as a teacher in the church. Verse 2 says, He was well spoken of by the brethren who were at Lystra and Iconium. Timothy's spiritual growth earned him a good reputation, not only at his home congregation, but among the saints from 18 miles down the road. This indicates that he was already known to some degree as a teacher and a preacher. Verse 3. Paul wanted to have him go on with him. This familiar language refers to the apostolic practice of training up new evangelists. Paul likely learned about the prophecies, heard the good reports of Timothy's labors, and saw potential in him for himself, so he called him into the ministry. Really, it is God who calls all workers into the ministry— Sometimes he issues that call directly and supernaturally, as in the case of Saul himself out on the Damascus Road, and sometimes he does it through the instrumentality of his people, elders, preachers, parents, and others, as in this case and in modern cases. It is good and right and the will of God that his churches should be watching and working to make sure that everyone who is a Christian and who is being raised to be a Christian is learning how to cultivate their gifts for God's service and glory and what God's intentions are for them according to his teachings in the Bible. If the elders see a young man who is a skilled communicator and a good student of Scripture, they need to begin encouraging and guiding him early so that he will have a good sense of direction for how he will honor God with his life. Timothy's response is only implied, but it is worth mentioning. He answered the call and agreed to leave his family and his homeland, and as we'll see in just a moment, to make any sacrifice whatsoever for the honor of Christ. Verse 3 continues, And he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in that region, for they all knew that his father was Greek. This is an exceedingly difficult passage in light of the material in Acts 15 and in Galatians 2. There, Paul led the charge in bringing the church in Jerusalem and his brother apostles to understand that no Gentile should be compelled to be circumcised. He refused to have Titus circumcised and vigorously opposed those who called for that. And in fact, in Galatians, he warned that those who were convinced to be circumcised would lose their salvation because of what the whole action would have represented. Why then would he himself take and circumcise Timothy? The language indicates that Paul performed the operation. Well, There are a few issues to consider. First, the issue addressed in Galatians and in Acts 15 was the necessity of Gentile circumcision for their salvation and acceptance into the church. Although some early post-apostolic writers described Timothy as a Gentile, the Bible does not say that he was. We called him a Mamzir the son of a Jewish woman and a Gentile man who could have become a part of the Jewish community but had chosen not to. Whether or not Timothy was wrong under the law of Moses to reject circumcision and full inclusion among his mother's people is difficult to say. In fact, McGarvey contends that the divine expectation for Jews to be circumcised in respect to the covenant made with Abraham before the giving of the law was never abrogated and will continue to stand as long as there are Jewish people in the world. I'm not going to comment on that issue in this study. I will address it in a special study later when we consider the book of Galatians. What we can say for certain, because Luke tells us, is that the Jews who were in that region knew that Timothy was uncircumcised because they all knew that his father was Greek. And that was a problem for them that would have kept Timothy from having an effective evangelistic ministry among them. That was the reason Paul circumcised him. Paul clearly did not consider the concern of these Jews to be of the same kind or class as the doctrine of the Judaizers, so it's more likely that in this case there was a young man who was viewed like a Jew, but one who had not submitted himself to the law in the way that he needed to. He would have become an argument for both the Judaizers and the Antinomians, and even if he was being severely misrepresented, his condition would have been used by unlearned and unstable people to lead themselves and others away from the gospel. Thus, Paul taught Timothy his first lesson in becoming all things to all men, as Paul himself exemplified in his own life, 1 Corinthians 9, 19-22. Now, we might be inclined to think the most intense part of this story is a 20-some-odd-year-old man being circumcised. But in reality, the procedure was probably the least difficult part of the whole ordeal. Through this action, Timothy became identified with the Jewish people. If he had previously refused to do this because he resented the way they regarded his mother and his own status— This required a great deal of humility on his part. Furthermore, he was now becoming a part of a generally despised subclass of society, and his life would never be the same, but all for the sake of Christ, who had given up glory and life for him. The circumcision of Timothy, then, was not a compromise against the gospel of grace— but a Christ-like self-sacrifice to remove any unnecessary obstacle to its full promotion. Verse 4. And as they went through the cities, they delivered to them the decrees to keep, which were determined by the apostles and elders at Jerusalem. This supports our conclusion on the issue of Timothy's circumcision. They were going everywhere and preaching exactly what they had determined at the meeting in Jerusalem, namely, Justification is by faithfulness to Jesus, not works of law. Thus, it was not necessary for the Gentiles to become Jews to follow Christ, but they cannot remain pagans. The language here may indicate that they left copies of the letter from Jerusalem at each of the churches. This would be an early component to the developing body of New Covenant Scripture. The teachings of this letter were the decrees, or literally, the dogmas revealed to the church by the Holy Spirit through the apostles and established by the ancient scripture as well. Of course, it lives on to teach even us by its inclusion in the book of Acts. Verse 5, So the churches were strengthened in the faith and increased in number daily. How can the kingdom grow in the face of opposition, human weakness, persecution, false teaching, and the general hardships of life? The kingdom grows in the world as it grows in us. Timothy had grown personally. He had become Christ-like, and the mind of Christ was in him. He was willing to lay aside anything for the honor of Jesus and the success of the gospel. And with one man willing to let Jesus so reign in him, the world around him was changed, and the churches grew in faith and number every day. The same thing can happen anytime, anywhere. Let the kingdom of God grow in you, and you will see it spread in the world. Thanks for listening to Verse by Verse. I'm Clinton DeFrance. I'm a Christian Bible student and evangelist from Tulsa, Oklahoma. And this podcast is made available by the Congregation of Christians, of which I am a member, in East Tulsa. Please come meet us if you have the chance. You can learn more about us at our website. TulsaChurchOfChrist.com Our music is from Andrew Martin, a very talented Christian brother in the Dallas-Fort Worth area of Texas. You can check out his SoundCloud for more beautiful and uplifting productions from him. For news, articles, previous episodes, or to request a Bible study or a lecture series with me, visit vbvpodcast.com. Please subscribe to the podcast and give us a good review if you enjoy the studies. God bless, and have a great week.
0: From all the dark places of earth's heathen races, oh, see how the thick shadows fly. The voice of salvation awakes every nation. Come over and help us to cry. The kingdom is spreading, oh tell ye the story, God's better exalted shall be. The earth shall be full of his knowledge and glory as waters that cover the sea. With praising and singing and jubilant ringing, their arms of rebellion cast down. At last, every nation, the Lord of salvation, with glory their efforts shall crown. The kingdom is spreading, O oh tell ye the story, God's banner exalted shall be. The earth shall be full of his knowledge and glory as waters that cover the sea.